Hi, sweet baby. I'm cool for you. That's one of my favorite things that our friend Jonathan Holmes has ever said. <laughs> hey, sweet baby. I'm cool for you. Hi, sweet baby. I'm cool for you. It's one of the most seductive phrases I've ever heard. I was just thinking about it. I've been listening to old episodes of this great podcast, Boston's Favorite Son. Boston's Favorite Son, you say? Boston's Favorite Son. It's been a comforting thing for me. Jonathan is wonderful. Jonathan is lovely. I got a chance a little while ago to guest on on his wonderful podcast talking to him about video games. And my favorite thing about doing stuff with Jonathan is Jonathan makes little songs about everyone who comes on their show. He does. He does. They're, they're wonderful. They're good. Jonathan is a lovely boy. But if you don't know, he's been a long-standing colleague of ours for like over 10 years. And yeah. we do a podcast with him. And, and he used to be on MTV's Road Rules uh, in 1998. And I'd love him to be famous again. And he's cool for any sweet babies. Wait. <laughs> Hello. Right. First of all, I've got to let everyone know that I am wearing the cutest <gasps> acid wash cut off coral sh uh, denim shorts. Oh. Coral denim. That's pretty good. Oh, it's fucking good. I, I thought to myself, I don't have enough coral. I don't have enough coral in my looks. Mm hmm. It's a lovely colour, is coral. It is. I love messing around with with uh, with patterns of clothing design that I don't often wear. I've got a lovely uh, tie-dye dress at the moment where I'm like, this oh. is excessive, it is garish, I love it. Fuck yeah, <laughs> I'm all for a bit of tie-dye. I like my tie-dye, I like neon, I like my pink. I like my pink with my black, that's Trash Girl Classique. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. I've got a black shirt on, I've got black leggings with stripes down the side. Silver glittery, pinks, and with a yellow stripe down the middle, like gold. I'm not sure how well it works with the coral shorts, but I tell you what, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Fashion is whatever you say it is. Damn right. Damn right. You you decide the fashions. You're going to be working at exactly. Vogue soon, telling people what to wear. Well, I mean, I'm not saying I'm an expert on fashion, but there is a clothes uh, line now. That is out. Yeah. Not the ones I do in wrestling matches. <laughs> no, no. I mean, there's merchandise now. Merchandise? Let's, yeah, oh. let's get that out of the way. If you want, like, shirt or badge. Well, the patches. There are embroidered patches that are real good. All of those products are very good. I recommend all of them, but particularly the badges, because, like, hey... Let's say that you don't care about our lovely James Stephanie at all. There's still stuff in the badges section you might like to do with me and Comrade. See, I wasn't going to shill me. <laughs> yeah, I find it a little shameless. Um, <laughs> uh, hello, everyone. TheGymporium.com. It's a place for stuff. But yeah, there are buttons for all sorts of stuff, like Gymquisition related and Podquisition related. We've got Laura logo on a button. We've got Conrad's face on a button. We've got Boston's favorite sun stuff. We've got Commander Sterling, the really nice Commander Sterling one. We've got a bunch of really fun um, video game publisher parody badges mm -hmm. that are good designs. I like those. You've got some shirt designs that are so good, every website that makes shirts is clamoring for Fucking them. hell, yeah. They, the, the plagiarist <laughs> sites, oh, that reminds me, I need to look at that link that my lawyer sent me. I say that as if it's a threat, there's really not a lot you can do about those fucking sites. But, you know, it's worth a go. But that's a sign that you're making cool, desirable hell shirt yeah. designs, and people should go get the original, the non-knockoff, the genuine article from the Chimporium. The ones that won't have watermarks printed on them because <laughs> they, ripped, 
they ripped our watermarked images. So unless you want like a t-shirt a that has the Gymquisition logo and just proof written all over it, come on down to the Gymporium. This is making me think that there might be a market for uh, go the complete other direction and sell shirts that have deliberate over-the-top garish watermarks over them yourself. Yeah, just sell my own knockoffs. That'll, yeah, exactly. that'll undercut the competition. That'll, that'll <laughs> cut into the untapped knockoff market. Um, I tell you what, though, the sheer popularity of our The Gays Can Do Whatever They Want shirt is off the charts slash hook. Mm -hmm. Very good. We've got a shirt. Uh, it was yeah. designed by Phoenix, uh, moderator and stuff. That one I do kisses on. One that Laura does kisses on. It's wonderful. It's like uh, pride colors, like splash like paint, like, like paint stripes. And then the gays can do whatever they want in the middle. Um, it's been super popular. I, I hoped yeah. it would be. You can buy it if you like, because the you gays really can, can do what they want. You really can, yeah. I mean, even if you're straight, you can spread the word. It's the golden yeah. rule. Uh, it's the only rule. It's the only one that matters. Um, so, yeah, I'm... And the store's gone really well. Yay! So I'm happy about that. I believe we've more than broken even um, on everything. And, yeah, if, if you want to go, there's... Um, an advanced sale thing just so we know how much of shit to get that runs until august like july 31st then august 1st the store officially opens we start shipping stuff out anyone who ordered before then gets their stuff first i'm excited i mean the thing about merch for me is more well not more than equal to the money i just like having the shit myself I really want a gays can do whatever they want shirt. Exactly. So as soon as we've got them, like I'm going to start wearing one. Merch exists primarily to be worn yourself and be like, I own a cool thing. The rest Damn of you right. can have it if you want, but I want to wear something cool. Yeah, you're all welcome to wear those shirts you bought, but just remember that I am the one who gets to wear the shirt and I'll wear it first and I'll go, ha 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 ha, the gays truly can do whatever they want if they're this gay. I meant this gay as in me, not this gay as in I'm really gay. I don't want to claim superior levels of gayness. <laughs> so it, it, it would be like um, if you were to say, what has two thumbs and can do whatever they want? This guy. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, yeah, so thanks to Conrad as well, who's been oh, really great at putting stuff, especially the buttons, because he is a button maker. If you look at pinfultruth.com, he makes buttons and is doing the manufacture on all of those. Phoenix has been working super hard on the store itself. I played around with the website a bit and tried to break it and did not succeed in breaking it at all. Damn right. I helped. It's like fucking Alcatraz. <laughs> you ain't breaking that shit. Uh, unless you're really good. Or you know specifically what to do to break it. I broke it a couple times. <laughs> ah. I've heard at least one thing that can break it, and I don't know if it still breaks it, but I know about it now. I know the secrets. Yeah. We like to break things. The one thing you can't break is its heart. It's true. Because it's on a button, and it's Laura's heart logo, and you can get yeah. it. <laughs> you know what What else you can break? What's that? Uh, all sorts of breaking opinions about video games. What have you played this week? You can break video games with enough DRM. You sure can. Yes, you can. Do we do we want to talk about that before we get into what we've played, or should we save that for a surprise for later? You know what? We can we can do whatever the gays can do whatever they want. The gays can do whatever they want. What do I want to do? I want to talk about it now because we've mentioned okay. it. Yeah. 
Resident Evil 8 is the latest in a big stream of games to just not work properly because DRM broke it. If game companies put DRM in their games, I've said this before, they're literally saying they don't give a fuck about your experience as an end user. Yeah. They really don't care. It's more important that they stop the game being quote-unquote stolen than it is for you to actually enjoy it as a paying customer. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the short version of this is that there is a cracked version of Resident Evil 8 that you can play on PC and it removes the DRM and the game runs just infinitely better. Now, usually the cause of this is uh, de nouveau DRM, which is notorious mm. for massively impacting performance of games. Now, that's sort of, but not entirely the situation here. Digital Foundry has a video that will explain this far better, I think, than any of us possibly could dream to. But the the general idea is that there's some connection being made between DeNuvo's DRM and bespoke DRM Capcom has made. And it's in these connections that are causing problems with performance uh, in gameplay. That's like the short, not correct, accurate version. So when you get those bad frame skips, when you shoot a guy with a, a shotgun, that's apparently... Not a problem on console? I didn't know that. Yeah. I guess the little uh, buzzing uh, locust swarms don't drag everything to a horrible crawl. It's very weird when a game runs better on consoles than it does on strong PCs, and it maybe tells you that they fucked something up. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I'm so used to not giving a shit about this kind of thing that I don't care. I, I, I recognize that, oh, there's a bit of slowdown with those those bugs. That's fucked. But I'm also not used to having a good PC. I actually do have a pretty good PC, <laughs> so I probably should be more bothered by that. But it's definitely present yeah. in my completely legitimate copy of Resident Evil Village that I paid full retail for. Hey, here's a reminder, game developers. Every time that you put like excessive DRM into your PC game and make it run worse for paying consumers as a result, and then inevitably people crack it and manage to remove the DRM and get the performance to increase, what you are doing is telling people... Just pirate it, you'll have a better experience than you yeah. will for paying money. It is actually a way to lose sales to piracy. Yeah, it's going to funnel people towards piracy because piracy offers a cheaper product with better performance. I mean, but that's the, that's the self-fulfilling prophecy of the DRM itself, is that, well, you know, we have to fight these filthy pirates, but it creates the pirates that will then sustain the need for DRM. Yeah. Good business model. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, I tell you what, if you think that DRM is a good idea, you want to French kiss a blowhole. <gasps> you want to do that. You look at dolphins and you think, oh, I'm going to French kiss that blowhole. And you never can because SeaWorld's banned you. <laughs> Wanting to do deep kissing with a blowhole. You orca porker. <laughs> so what have you both played this week? That was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. How many games has Conrad played? I, I played two games. Two? I've done three. 
Wow. Uh, I've played two. Steph, what have you played this week? I like this new rule that we're developing that whoever played the most games has to <laughs> oh, go first. Oh no, don't, don't, don't do this. Well, you want to get like some out the way because once I've done one, then we can do one and one and one and one and one and one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And one and one and one. That's nine. <laughs> no, one and one and one and one and one and one. If we're going to make this a rule, I'm going to stop playing so many video games. One and so one. So we're just helping you. And this only sounds good for you. I can't do math. What have you played, Scott? <laughs> uh, let's do, I guess we'll do the newer one of them. Mundown or Mundorn? Mundorn? Yes. PC Explosion has been just raving about this and it's, yeah. Don't get the PS4 version, heavens no. Okay. I had it on PS4 and and it's bad in terms of like, it's like the, the camera, or like the, the protagonist model, is clipping on the floor at an alarming rate, so everything judders as you move. Mm -hmm. And it's really bad. Like, it's... When I first started playing it, I was like, Jesus Christ, is this like a Steam Direct runoff bit of swill? I played the whole game like that. I think that speaks to how much the game itself is enjoyable. I've got a... a a code for other platforms so i still need to play it properly it wasn't so bad that i was getting migraines so i kind of like stuck through it and the first area is worse than any of the others but from what i've seen and heard the other systems are fine and the game itself is pretty good it's a first person horror game it's black and white it's monochrome and the models are 3d but all the texturing on them is like scribbled pencil like scribbly pencil effect so it looks hand-drawn it's a story about a, a guy going into this mountain village looking for his grandfather or well his grandfather's died and he's trying to find out what's going on it's freaky it's trippy the monsters are sort of silly but i enjoy them like funny walking haystacks just these little straw fellas and they walk along like lines of straw and you if you've got matches you can set fire to the straw and it will spread and eventually set fire to the uh monster i know casey was concerned that looking at, at footage people could think it was uh, like a walking simulator more than a, a straightforward survival horror but it is survival horror you know you can get a pitchfork and stab monsters with it but they that doesn't last very long it's got that whole survival horror thing of it's weapon durability which is bad in zelda Mm hmm. Yeah, I've made that point. You know, it can be understood somewhat in a horror game, but even then, just fuck off. Hard enough to aim the thing, because the monsters can just look at you. If the straw monster just looks at you, then you start turning into straw. What can you do? And you get scared if you're near a monster, so you can't run away from the monster. So it just looks at you until you are the straw. Huh. That's not so good. Yeah, that doesn't sound ideal. Yeah, don't get caught, basically. Don't get seen. Later on, there are killer beekeepers. They just float around and they've got beehives. And they send bees after you. And I won't tell you how to deal with the bees, because it's actually quite a clever little thing. So yeah, it's interesting. It's not mega long. But I did find myself, even with the tech issues I had, I did find myself very compelled to play. And I may play it, play through it on live stream with a, one of the codes I've got, play it on a different version. Because I wouldn't be able to show PS4 footage without a warning. I wouldn't feel confident not adding some sort of disclaimer for eye strain or, or worse even, it's so bad. The developer is aware of it. Casey sort of let the dev know about my complaints because I was tweeting about it. Um, so it, it, it is being addressed. 
But if you do play it, you know, go for PC or it's on Switch as well. Apparently that works okay. So that's Moon Dawn. Um, I'm, I know I'm saying that wrong. I do apologize. Um, I've not heard it said. I've only read it a lot. I mean, I'm sure it was said in the game. The whole game is in, uh, I think, Swiss, dialogue-wise. The text you can have in English, but that adds a little extra thing. And it's, yeah, it's got some freaky imagery and an interesting little story about, you know, spooky man in the mountains. Uh, so, yeah, I, do li- I did like it in spite of its issues, and I would obviously like it more uh, without them. Hmm. So I would recommend it on another pla- any other platform but PS4 right now. I would recommend it. Yeah, fun. Yeah, I've had it on Steam for a while now. Mm-hmm. I think Casey sent it to me, and I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, hearing that it is, because it does not give the look of a traditional survival horror at all. Um, I did not get that vibe from the yeah what I had seen of it, and it very much is like that's the thing. It's it's yeah. interesting that they uh, that they have not made it too clear, right? So yeah, I'll, I'll probably check that out. It, it does sound good. Mm-hmm. I have been playing a game that someone recommended to me on Twitter called Snakers. 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 It's spelled. S-N-K-R-X. And it's Snake with RPG mechanics laid over it. Oh, hello. This looks really cool. I'm watching Snake, but your snake is sh- is shooting a bunch of bullet hell projectiles? Yeah, so the way it works is you have a snake of up to seven segments that you purchase from a shop, and then you'll go into an arena and face waves of enemies... And every type of segment has different abilities and functions. You have ones that fire projectiles either individually or in arrays, or they'll fire a large projectile that will move slowly across the field, shooting other projectiles out to do the actual damage. Um, you'll have melee-focused characters that will do area effect attacks around their location when they execute. All of these things operate on timers. And in the gameplay itself, you control it like Snake. But what's interesting about it is, like, there's not much to collect unless you start getting types of units that produce things to collect. Healers produce healing orbs that will, on pickup, heal whoever needs the healing the most in your segment. They're in your snake. Each segment is individual in terms of health. And when they die, they're just removed from the snake. Mm. Now, it makes you a smaller target. So there's some advantages that come along with losing some party members along the way. And you don't lose them permanently. You get them all back when you finish the level, if you finish the level. All of the segment types are made up of combinations of class types that then confer bonuses if you have multiples of class types in your snake. So you're really building a party and then leveling it by purchasing multiples of them from the three random options you're delivered in the shop, which can also be upgraded. At intervals, you'll get passive bonuses that apply that could increase damage for certain types of segments or could give rewards based on their position within the snake. It's pretty cool for something that is very, very simple. 
and has a lot of kind of depth in terms of build style that you can do. It's fun. It's quick. It controls really well. It's three dollars. Yeah. I played it twice and I was like, yeah, okay, it's fine. I don't feel like I wasted my money. But then I booted it up again yesterday and I just keep playing it now. It really started to get my its hooks into me for something that, like, doesn't feel like there's much waiting for me on the other end of this experience. But at the same time, I'm just having a lot of fun with it. So, yeah, Snakers, three bucks on Steam. I don't know if it's anywhere else. For three bucks, I mean, come on. That's real neat. It looks really good. Like, I was, it was like, oh, that's interesting. And then you said three bucks and I said, oh, that's... That's the best game I've ever seen. <laughs> right? And there are boss encounters um, with you know, larger enemies that ha- take a, a lot of damage to take down. And they'll spawn more uh, enemy, smaller enemy groups at, you know, whenever you've eliminated all of them to keep you in trouble. And they'll all have special attacks. And, and enemy types evolve over time with new attacks. It's really cool. It's on Google Play as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. I will hold out for my obligatory Switch version, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hold hold back your $3 investment. Well, if I get it on something else, I might not play it. So I want to get it where I'll play it. That's fair. But yeah, it's good. I like it. Yeah. Maybe I'll pirate it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pirate indie games. That's not nice. They actually need the money. I played a thing this week that I did not expect myself to use my week playing. I played through a bunch of the VR port of Myst. Whoa! Whoa. That old old PC game Uh from the 90s. So, story as to how I ended up going around to playing this, I bought my mum an Oculus Quest a while back because she really likes VR gaming. She's She's been really interested in it for a while, now she's got her own headset, and I went, I went and saw her for the first time since pandemic and everything had happened, now I'm all fully vaccinated, and she's gotten to the point with VR where she started buying her own games without checking for recommendations or anything, she's doing her own research, finding her own games, and she vaguely remembered Mist from the 90s and was like, yeah, I'll play this. I was having a little trouble with it, because there is a bit of a fundamental design flaw with Mist that makes it not a great game for playing in VR. It's boring. It's incredibly, incredibly boring, and made up of static images that you just sort of warp to from one to the next. So this is a full 3D environment remaking of the of the game. It is entirely 3D environments. You can either walk around or teleport around or whatever. Physical objects you interact with and whatnot. First of all, Mist is like... Boring. For anyone who's never played it, it is a very <laughs> obtuse <laughs> puzzle game. It is one of those puzzle games where it just... It really does not want you to get those first couple of hints that will let you start working things out, because once you've got those first couple of things, you start finding shit to do. Right, and, and when would you buy the hint book? Exactly, exactly. So my mum was, was a little stuck at first, so I was like, okay, I, I remember enough of playing this back in the day that I can help. But the other problem is, Mist is a puzzle game that very heavily relies on you Taking physical notes, mm-hmm. a thing that's really difficult to do while your head's in a VR headset and you can't <laughs> see your hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Right? Um, brilliant. So, like, it's a really good port of mist if you have a second person to play with. And we ended up having a really fun time with it by basically 
one of us would be in the VR headset and the other one would be watching on the TV sort of what was being said seen in the headset. And one of us would be taking notes and drawing diagrams and, and whatnot, and the other person would be exploring the world and we take turns. If you can do that, this is a better version of Myst that has modernised some of the more infuriating aspects of the original game. But you need that second person taking notes and that game, god, even, even modernised... Initially, it's just, here's about 30 different disconnected places where you could type in puzzle solutions and no clear place to start looking for clues. Just wander around, I guess. Wow. It's not great in that regard. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, I had fun once I was playing it, but I had fun in spite of it rather than because of it. I'm not ashamed to say, to say that I, w- I, I a couple of times looked up some walkthrough stuff to be like, okay, let's help let's help you through, Mum, because otherwise you're going to be stuck here for literally forever. I do not recommend buying Mist in VR. Just, I'm sure there's probably a, th- a 3D version of Mist on PC that you can actually make notes while you can see the game. <laughs> it's a fundamental problem. Gosh, that does seem like a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Steph? What have you played this week? <laughs> Well, I started playing Scarlet Nexus. Ooh! Based on our discussion last week. I like it well enough. (laughs) (laughs) I like it well enough. I really, 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 really wish you could break your attacks to dodge. I'm having trouble avoiding attacks while trying to attack. Some of this is going to be on me, but I really don't like like it when you've got to wait for an attack to finish before dodging. I've not found that a problem. I don't know if I'm doing anything differently, but... Yeah, I might just be mess. Like, I I might be trying to go too quick with it, but then it does sort of emphasise staying aggressive. But I feel like I keep getting smacked in the face. It might be down more to me, but... One thing I completely agree with you on is Jesus Christ the story. Like <laughs> it's a it's a it's a good action game with a really interesting combat flow when you really get into it. The whole, you know, doing physical attacks, then getting back and throwing like yeah. things psychically at monsters. But it stops so frequently to chat shit. Yeah. So which which of the characters have you been playing as? Have you tried both of them or have you picked one in particular? I picked one in particular. I did the 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 girl with the psychokinesis. Hmm. So I, I tried a little bit of her this week as well. Um her story is more interesting, but it's still just as poorly paced in its execution. Yeah. It just doesn't stop. It's like I wanna play more video game and and it keeps butting in. And that's not helped by the fact that like like just so many fucking games it's I don't know what it is that like Japanese design convention that throws like pauses the game even an hour plus in to throw a tutorial window at you like by the time it's giving me multiple boxes telling me about how to weaken enemies and how to break their shells and like just introducing new concepts, especially as someone with, you know, like a disorder that makes it really difficult to retain information in that way without practical help. Like, Christ, stop it. And honestly, I I don't think it needs it because there's a certain point a couple of hours in where you go... The core gameplay loop here of here is my regular attack, here's my throw, here are my party members that each have one special thing they do on a timer. That's all you really need. Make the fights more difficult to dodge, maybe. 
uh, you know, make it harder to hit them. You don't need to be adding more mechanics in. Yeah. Because the the core of it is really simple and really satisfying. That loop mm-hmm. back and forth between the two different bits of your combat feels really satisfying. And the, the things, like the systems that are in there, it's nothing I haven't seen before. Yeah. Weak points and stagger gauges and stuff that is fun, like it's become fundamental enough to action games to where like... I've played plenty of games that don't stop and start like this to tell me shit that's obvious. And, and you know, I'm over an hour in and I'm in the middle of a fight and it just stops. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm in the middle of something. I was having fun. There's a narrative conceit as well they could be using. Don't stop the game to tell me. Have your little person on the earpiece who's telling you and your team, like, ah, oh, here's, what, here's, here's what's going on in the mission. Have them tell you as a voiceover and subtitles, maybe. Yeah. Ah, oh, quick. Maybe if you uh, bounce back and forth between the two attack modes, maybe that'll shield break them. Like, just tell me. I mean, Jesus Christ, if you're going to have a tutorial section at the beginning as well, Put everything in it. Put everything I need to know in it so that an hour later when I'm in the middle of a fight and, and like, really in the... into Like, it's such... Like you say, there's such a good gameplay flow, like, with the combat. Mm. To break that constantly is vandalism. And here's the thing. If I could reliably know that all of the narrative uh, if i could know at the start of any given bit of narrative is this one one of the ones where nothing of value is going to be that's great because i could just mash through it but i'm afraid to mash through it in case they tell me something i need to know later yeah yeah and like the deli- the delivery of the lines and the lines they're given to read are just not interesting enough like i don't mind something like a persona 5 when that talks and talks and talks because i'm like at least your characters are charming and engaging and that's fine it's a dyed in the wool rpg character development's entirely part of it it's written well the characters have really nice relationships that you like seeing this is like bland characters and bland like bland stock anime characters they don't need this much attention given to them they certainly don't need three or four cutscenes re-emphasizing everyone's name yeah and the thing is like i wish the narrative was better because the the character models when they're having conversations look gorgeous i wish i cared about what you were saying so i could stop and enjoy your pretty anime faces yeah i will say like i like the style well enough i'm never a fan of the washed out color scheme like everything's just that's kind of muted and and i've never been fond of that the monster designs are really good however um we mentioned last week the vase corset with <laughs> yes yes long legs and high heels and the inexplicable skeleton tail <laughs> yeah really interesting monster designs the combat that whole you know melee attack melee attack melee attack grab a bit of a car and fling it at a monster um all hero ones you can press a different fling button on oh and you've got to do the sticks to make it like hit a second time yeah and move stuff. the sticks to get it to hit good and then you know you can cover it in water and then get someone to th- like you've got people you fight with and they basically give you power-ups so you can cover an enemy in water and then if you're with the fella who can give you electric like then you can shock them really easily so it's it's interesting and 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 I do like it, but there is right now I'm trudging through the kind of fog to get to the I'm imagining it all once the tutorials stop 
and I can get deeper into it. I'm imagining I like it more. As someone who has gotten a bit further into it since last week, it does get over some of this problem. That's good. It does let you have more time of just, I just want to keep doing the missions and doing the combat and not being tutorialized and just getting on with it. And I enjoyed it more once it stopped trying to be more than it was, which was, here is a good combat loop, go fight a bunch of stuff with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a fun game in there, despite itself. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. I, I fought the first sort of boss where you've got to try and get it to like lunge at you, and then while it's stuck, you drag a truck from on high to land on it. Mm, yeah. Really, yeah, good stuff. Fuck the checkpoints. I've, I will say that uh, outright. Fuck the checkpoints. They are really <laughs> annoyingly placed, and you've if you die, you do have to slog through quite a bit of the same shit, uh, including any tutorial pop-ups that happened. <laughs> Fuck that. Heavily. But other than that, yeah, I see a lot of promise in it. I, I really like the, uh, I'm liking the skill tree system, which they could have mm, just, yes. like, they could have just said, here is a skill tree system. I didn't need a window of tutorial telling me what a skill tree system was. No, you didn't need the whole cutscene telling you about, ah, here's experimental tech and only you're getting it. And maybe there'll be side effects or something, but it's going to give you very good power, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, just give me the fucking double jump. Is a double jump there? Yes, it is. Fucking lovely. I like that they do my favourite thing in, in uh, skill trees, which is making all of the additional moves one branch of the skill tree. So if I just want to get a bunch of new shit my character can do, fine, I'll just go up that bit of the tree. For sure. Uh, Conrad, what else have you played this week? Yeah, Conrad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing I played was something we talked about last week, actually. It was uh, that uh, Rising Hell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed that. It's interesting. You know, I, I didn't play around with the demo past playing it once and being like, yes, please. <laughs> so I don't know uh, if the other characters are available in the demo or not, but there are three characters to choose from. One is strictly melee. One has ranged attacks and is much faster. And then there's a balance that actually is deals more damage, but has uh, less health uh, and a short range explosive sticky bomb attack. That's kind of cool. Mm hmm is good. It's interesting in its approach to difficulty in that I didn't really struggle to finish it with the two more close range focused characters, like a complete run, or at least what is a first complete run. Uh, I think I did it on my second or third try um, and then quickly with the other one. But it's one of those that's designed, well, now you get to do it again and we're going to add a difficulty modifier and just adding an additional 25% enemy damage has made it much more challenging just to complete the second run. So I was a little worried until I saw how much I was struggling to complete it a second time. I was like, all right, I'm in. It's pretty good. I like the control a lot. I love that uppercut attack that you can use to juggle yourself. The music is very enjoyable and appropriate to the aesthetic and gameplay. I love that you can just kill the tutorial characters and get money from them. Nice. That makes me happy. Yeah. They really do ask you to stop. Yeah. 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 But they've got money. They do. And you can have it if you kill them. You really can. I think that's how Elon Musk thinks. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's money in it if I just let these fuckers die. Oh, I get to go to space. <laughs> For the good of the world. Did you see that? Yeah. No. It's a little tweet that he wrote in four lines, so it looked poetic and clever. It was like, people say space bad, but give hope to people. Wow. I said, fuck off, money hoarding space bastard. I hate the fucking space billionaires. I love that Richard Branson... Billionaire Richard Branson took a pride flag into space to be like, see, I'm 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 good now. <laughs> Give me a thumbs up. Right? I'd I put a rainbow in space. Except not really space, it was just a very high plane, essentially. This is what you said. Those who attack space. That's one line. Maybe don't realize that. Space represents hope for so many people. Richard Branson says he's going to make space affordable for everyone while he can't even make his fucking trains in the UK affordable. Right. He could. He could make them free. He's a billionaire. He literally don't need jack fucking shit. Yeah. Sorry. Not to get political, etc. I had a passing thought. Never going to fucking happen. But you know how sometimes astronauts who go like properly, properly into space look back at the Earth and see it as a little marble in space and go, oh, fuck, it broke my brain. I need to protect this planet now and my everything has changed. Yeah. There is that little bit of me that's like, it's never going to happen. But the the hope that a billionaire could see it from space and go, ah, oh, shit, that thing happened to my brain. Now I'll, I'll stop being a capitalist. It's never going to fucking no. happen. Instead, what's going to happen is fucking Elon or fucking Branson, once they get far enough to where they can hold their hand out and make it look like they're holding the planet Earth, they will just do that and laugh. I squish you. That's what they're going to do. That's the thing. I think it's going to have the opposite effect it has on regular people and they're going to see how tiny the Earth is and how alone the Earth is and go... I could rule this and nobody could stop me. They'll do the whole Mars attacks thing. Nice planet, I'll take it. They're gonna ha- I think they're gonna have fundamentally the opposite experience to actual astronauts and that terrifies me. Hmm. Uh, I played another video game this week. Oh, what'd you play? I played There Is No Game, Wrong Dimension. Okay. I believe it was originally a Flash game years ago that has been built out into a full game, if I understand correctly. It's one of these, like, meta-narrative-y kind of, kind of deals. The idea is you are using a piece of software that insists it isn't a video game and is trying very hard to not let you interact with a button that will ostensibly start the video game. And it's it's a kind of cheesy idea. It's been done before, but I think the execution here is kind of fun. It is basically a sandbox for point-and-click puzzle adventure logic of trying to break your way through this series of environments that seem like you have nothing to interact with and being like, okay, well, I managed to get this bit of broken glass. What can I do with that? Okay, that's led me to this. How can I get that? It starts off as just like a like a fairly simple framing to a, to a point-and-click goof concept. It has some range to it. I'll talk about, like, one fairly early situation I got into that I think is a good example of, like, the kind of ways that this concept evolves as you go through it. Uh, at one point in the game, I managed to reach... A CRT screen with a point-and-click adventure Sherlock Holmesy type game going on on it, and was interacting with the physical TV, rotating it around, doing things with the TV, and also doing things by interacting with like, okay, how can I steal the icons off of the point-and-click adventure game and use those? How can I mess with the physical TV to do things? It has some clever puzzle game mechanics. 
One thing that's a bit of a shame with it, it's got a hint system, and the hint system is nicely handled in that uh, you can ask for hints that are specific to specific puzzles, and there will be different levels of hint, and it'll sort of give you a very light hint, and then a slightly stronger hint, and then something much more direct. But every time you accept a hint, uh, it plays a sound effect of a bunch of people booing at you, which is just really shitty. Don't put a hint system in if you're going to shame the player for using it. Yeah. That's just not good design. It's mean. That's just arseholeish behaviour. There seems to be more to this than I initially thought, because it, it originally has that feeling of just, here's a Flash game you would play for 25, 30 minutes and go, eh, I got a bit of a chuckle out of that. I know it goes, like, interesting places. I watched Jane play it on livestream. It, it was Jane's recommendation I checked it out on. It initially seems very, okay, this is just being a, a jokey meta-narrative, but it definitely does seem to be going interesting places. There is more to it than that, but... At its at its core, it's a it's a point and click about having very limited tool sets and working out how to interact with limited environments. Been having fun with it. I, I I'm gonna play more of it again later today. Steph, have you got another game that you've played? Uh, I've been having a crack on me little machine full of legal games that I own physical copies of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so obviously I've got a couple arcade machines in here for Aliens vs. Predator and Aliens, the arcade game. I've been playing a bunch of Aliens stuff because, you know me, I'm a bugger for a xenomorph. And I really like those games. I like AVP, the Capcom one, and I like that. I think it's Konami did the uh, the Aliens arcade game. Just because of the sheer piss they take with the xenomorphs, do you want a xenomorph that's just a head with bat wings? Because you can have one. Do you want a xenomorph that's a facehugger egg with four legs and a xenomorph's head? He didn't do that. No worries. Do you want spiky-headed electric xenomorphs? Sure, go right ahead. And one thing loads of these old retro aliens games had a thing for was to take the concept of someone who'd been facehuggered and turn them into, like, manky zombies that just come at you and then throw a chestburster at you. Or, in the Aliens one, the the chestburster zombie, they come up to you, grab you by the shoulders, and then just the chestburster bursts out and just punches you. It just goes in and out. Pretty cool. Non-canon, though. And that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> and pretty cool designs. The AVP one's really good still. Like just xenomorphs, like bright purple and orange ones, like razor claws and, and spidery ones. They're imaginative. And the AVP one is really good still. It's a really good beat-em-up. You can be a predator if you want. Nice. Nice. And that really is everything I've got to say about that. They're old fucking games and they're fun <laughs> enough. And Silent Hill. Started Silent Hill on it. Ooh. Which I did buy once. Second hand. So it's like no one made money off it anyway. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. ROMs are good. ROMs are good. No one's going to make money if I if I play Ristar on this thing. It seems <laughs> unlikely. It does seem unlikely. Uh, let's, let's start off the news this week with a story that Conrad uh, put in the chat uh, at the weekend. This is a story from Gama Sutra. Ubisoft worried inappropriate behaviour could hurt staff hiring and retention. What? 
Ubisoft has indicated the occurrence of inappropriate behaviour by employees has become a very real risk to the company. As spotted by Axios, the French publisher added the risk factor to its recently published uh, Universal Registration document, and noted it could also affect its ability to attract and retain talent. Well, I mean, having the reputation as a workplace where abuse is normalised and unaddressed isn't a place people want to work if they have options. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 interesting because the games industry is like one of the most rapidly growing and there is a, a, a desire for talent. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, of new people flooding in in terms of, you know, entry level jobs. But talent, that's different. That's experience, mm. that's time in the industry, that's having shipped multiple games. Ubisoft is not a name you want to be associated with right now. It comes with baggage. It's not great. Yeah. Uh, so reading reading this Gama Sutra post, Ubisoft noted that uh, the, the, this upgraded risk was partly due to increasing pressure from its direct competitors. So as you said, there are people fighting for those, those hires. Uh, but also conceded that damage to its reputation and image or to its working environment could impact its ability to keep employees. No shit, no one wants to work for a company with a really bad reputation. Yeah, like, it's not just that, that there were, was the abuse, it's that people who allowed it are still allowed there, and people who were abusive are still allowed there. They're put in charge of projects, major multi-divisional operations. Yeah. I hope we continue to hear that Ubisoft as a corporate entity is struggling to hire people and keep people, because that means that staff are wising up to the fact that there are better places they could be working. Well, and people outside of the company are wising up to the fact that maybe it's a shitty place to work. Yeah, exactly. Because maybe it is. Maybe it is a shitty place to work, based on much evidence that we have received. Yeah. Got another story here that Conrad is itching to talk about. I, I, this just makes me smile. It really does. And I didn't actually read the story yet. I just read your summary. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. I will, um, I'll, I'll start summarising it and you sort of interject when you're ready to talk about <laughs> okay. it. Tencent obtains a patent for digital asset inheritance. <laughs> the subtitle to this story on Eurogamer, by the way, is great. Where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, <laughs> so Tencent, the big Chinese corporation that owns all of the technology that comes out of China, seemingly, has obtained a patent for the inheritance of digital items. Initially filed in 2019, uh, the, the patent was finally filed last week. It relates to the inheritance of digital items and assets after a person passes away. While not fully related to video games, it has sparked discussion online about game accounts and virtual item inheritance. <sighs> so Tencent has a patent on uh, essentially letting you leave your downloadable content and products to your children in your will, if you wish. I, it's, it's, it's everything. Like, it's everything. Okay, so essentially what they're doing is trying to create intellectual property ownership around the technical 
ability to reassign intellectual property ownership. Mm -hmm. And it's done by a company based in China that seemingly as a nation, at least, you know, from all appearances, don't believe in intellectual property outside of their borders. Wow. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. And it points to, you know, ownership just further invading into the digital space. The the concept of owning property. I mean, it's a question we're going to have to eventually answer as a species is, what right do you have to give your digitally owned products that are covered by DRM and logins to someone else upon your death? Can you give your little grandson, Timmy, uh, your 4,000 game Steam library when you die? Can I, when I die, can I leave my YouTube channel to someone and have the lawyer say it's your fucking albatross now? <laughs> I think there is a legal argument that can be made under the end user licensing agreement system that we have that because we do not actually own those DRM games, those locked games, you are just paying for a license that is, by the way, non-transferable, mm. technically speaking. Yeah. So, I mean, this is what is interesting, is for all of the problems with this, this is the first example I could find of a company having an actual concrete plan for being able to transfer those rights. Like, there are some other companies that have equivalents, but most of them involve letting you log into someone else's accounts after their death rather than transferring their digital stuff to a different account. Mm -hmm. Like, Apple, Facebook have abilities for you to set up a person who's allowed to log in after you die. But this is, this is a very literal attempt to be like, your digital assets, those licenses should be transferable if you leave them to someone when you die, which is interesting. I don't trust Tencent to be the ones to, to have a patent on it, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I have, I mean, I have very strong opinions on ownership of things, generally speaking, in that, um, don't. Y yes. But I do think, yes, you're right, this is a reality that's going to be faced. I mean, it's, yeah. especially as we continue to create items that are existing explicitly only in a digital space and assigning value to those things that persists or grows, it's it's going to be a thing. And, you know, domain names are, you know, are, are one of the first sort of spots of this. And I do wonder down the road, are we going to ever actually be able to own property online, like actual spaces outside of you build a server and you maintain it. Are you going to be free of the registry? Like, what can you own in the end of the day? I, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, it is a really interesting question. And part of what I guess it ties into is like, if you open the door to digital asset rights, let's say are transferable upon death, but non-transferable before, then you start asking the question, well, if we can do it at death, why can't I transfer it now? What if I want to like... The conversation about, like, what am I allowed to do and who am I allowed to give my digital assets to 
is going to be a question. Now, I do think that uh, you will be able to give all of your uh, digital goods and and property ownerships to political action committees, uh, (laughs) which will be completely um, obfuscating uh, their activities and goals and, 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 and how much money they receive. Just saying. That'll probably be fine. That goes without saying. <laughs> this is all going to be answered very easily, though. It's it's going to take one company to say, oh, no, we own that. Yeah. It's just going to take one company to point at all of our stuff and just say, ours. And then, uh, like, especially America will just say, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want anything else? Fucking hell. Microsoft over over with Xbox is attempting to be the latest company to be like, ah, yes, we we will solve uh, children overspending on predatory microtransactions in video games and failing to sort of get the, the core of the problem. So Microsoft's Xbox Family Settings app will now allow you to manage a child's account spending. You can limit how much they can spend and have a little button that goes like, ah, they don't have any money, but they can, like, you know, press ask to buy and their parent will get a notification and decide whether to let them have the purchase. You know, all sorts of of, of tools to help parents manage their children's spending. With the obvious problem that how many parents know to download an Xbox Family Settings app and set it up to know that this is going to be a problem they should preempt. Hmm. Like, it's good that these settings exist, but th- the question I've never seen any of these companies answer is, what are we doing to educate parents on this is a risk you may have to be aware of. Here is what you can do to set your console up in a safe way for children. Well, that seems like something the ESA should be what does the ESA do exactly? Uh, covers the game industry's ass for it. Oh, so they're more of an after the fact. They're not so much preventative. Oh, well, no, that's not all they do. That's not all they do. They leak. They leak the details of a bunch of people who go to their events. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Because it seems to me like this is something that an industry trade group could, you know, a what help with a what. <laughs> <laughs> You mean like a real one? <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I mean, and you know, really, Microsoft should be making hay out of this, but they don't actually want it to be used. No. Right? Because that will reduce revenues. Yeah. Rather than being that we're the forward company that's seeking to protect our users from fraud and predatory actions. It's another action that is putting the onus on the parent to stop addictive microtransaction spending. Well, no, because otherwise you might think that the industry bears some responsibility. Yeah, it's, you know, just just as a spitball, I imagine if you own a video, one of the two, you know, big next-gen video game consoles or your big manufacturer like that, you know, you could maybe fix this problem problem somewhat in the industry by having limits on what kind of monetization can be in your game for it to get certified on your console might be a route to you know fixing this that could work maybe unless you don't want to do that because it's financially profitable to you and you don't really want to admit that Mm, yeah that doesn't sound good that doesn't sound as good does it no they're in a pickle they're in a real pickle that they are so the other week we got announced um, Death Stranding Director's Cut is coming to PS5 at some point in the near future. Mm-hmm. That being said, it, there were some people at the time who were like, Director's Cut, that sounds like an interesting name given this is a Kojima game where 
Kojima has, from what we can tell, absolutely nobody ever telling him that he can't do anything. But based on all the evidence, nobody yeah, told would, him to stop you, at any point. You would imagine <laughs> that the original game would be the director's cut. Um, and apparently Kojima somewhat agrees with this. He did a couple of tweets on Twitter that were kind of interesting. A director's cut in a movie is an additional edit to a shortened version that was either released reluctantly because the director didn't have the right to edit it, or because the running time had to be shortened. In this game, nothing was cut. Things were specifically produced to be included. Obviously. In my opinion, I don't like to call it director's cut. Kojima's here like, it's not a director's cut, I'm making new shit for it. I I made the game I wanted to make already. So the the director can't <laughs> yes. even call the director's cut not a director's cut. Yeah. Is this the one place where, like, you know, people higher-ups have put their foot down and gone, Kojima? You're not allowed to not call this a director's cut. That's the one thing you don't get to do what you want with. You know, I, I gotta gotta be honest with you. I, it, <laughs> I, I really, why will nobody give this man autonomy, right? Because look what he does with apparent shackles <laughs> on him. <laughs> Imagine if you unleashed that beast. How dare you call this thing director's cut, a term that we all sort of colloquially get what was meant by, but it's not technically that. I'm worried about the normalisation of director's cuts because then you get your multiple special editions. Mm -hmm. You get your yeah. game of the year edition. Then like a year later, you get the director's cut full of yet more shit that unlike in this case, actually was held back. I tweeted about this quite some time ago where I was like, God, they're going to do this, aren't they? They're going to start normalizing director's cuts for games. Yeah, they are. And because it's the game industry, they're going to take the fucking piss with the idea. And it's going to be another dishonest money grab like every other fucking idea in this industry. Whether it starts as a money grabbing idea or not, eventually publishers will get hold of it and then they'll ruin it. Yep. It was a face hugger with a xenomorph head. <laughs> Fucking amazing. Couple of other bits of news. There's been rumours going around for a while that Bloober Team, the people that worked on, uh, what was their most recent game? The Medium? Mm, yeah, I think that's right. That, like, I had real conflicted thoughts on that game. Oh yeah, I never got around to playing that one. <laughs> it had good Silent Hillish vibes, but, like, the end of that narrative got real... Mental health issues make you dangerous became the narrative crux by the end. Uh-oh. Not ideal. It, mm, yeah, it was not great. Not ideal. Yeah, not ideal. Um, But there's been rumours for a while that they've been contracted to make a Silent Hill game, and so they've, they've responded to this. They didn't deny it. Bloober Team CMO Tomasz Gowalski uh, clarified that the scope of the, the project may not be what people think. They're like... Online speculations based on outdated or incomplete information can lead to strange theories amongst gamers. Not saying that the theories were wrong, just outdated or incomplete information can lead to strange theories. Yeah, th there was no denial. Yeah, that, that's not a denial. Which has just made everyone go, oh, so yeah, you're making Silent Hill. Maybe it's a different Silent Hill game to what the rumours said, but you're, you're making a Silent Hill, huh? Yeah, that sounds about right. It's going to be a sequel to Book of Memories. <laughs> the PS Vita Diablo style one. I liked the idea in concept, actually. It, it wasn't great as a game. People shat all over it, of course, because they zero sum, you know thought it yeah but i would like a genuinely good dungeon crawler silent hill but then i i like fucking with genres 
I like it. You know what was a fun Silent Hill thing I did this week, just as a side note? There is a fan edit of the original Silent Hill film. Fan edit is called Restless Dreams. Really interesting fan cut of that film. A couple of things it does, it cuts like 25 minutes out of that film. Sean Bean just no longer exists at all. It starts the film as the main character is waking up in Silent Hill and just sort of lets it go uh, from there without so much uh, build-up and it works like the necessary stuff in later. Much tighter version of that film. I'd imagine so, yeah. Made it into something, you know, if if anyone's curious, Silent Hill Restless Dreams. Pretty, pretty, pretty interesting redo of that, that film. Huh. I hesitate. I noticed that you never at any point said the word good. Oh, I had a good time watching it. <laughs> I had a good time watching it. it. It got rid of most of the things that I think are actively bad about that film. Uh, there's one that's just a nice little thing to note, but also I have like a, a little bullet point to put on it. Um, there's a really neat little archival project going on at the moment. So you remember how last year there was that huge leak of Nintendo uh, materials uh, that, that led to a bunch of like, oh, here's unused promotional art for games and here's builds of games that never released and stuff like that. One of the things from that was uh, an incomplete build of the original 1997 Space World demo for Ocarina of Time, where a bunch of stuff was very different. Later that year, a developer cartridge was found for the N64 that had a bunch of material from that Space World build, and some modders have been going through and reassembling and putting together a playable version of this old, very different Ocarina of Time build. That's really neat. I will, however, say they've made the the key mistake that I tell people doing these kind of projects to never do. They told someone. They've announced. Oh, they've no. They've put out a trailer and they've announced that they're doing it. Hey, everyone, if you're ever making a cool project like this, say nothing, put it up online and put the trailer out the day it's available. Because then when you're told to cease and desist it, it's fine. It's, it's, well, it's already in the world by that point. It's yeah. too late. Yeah. Don't. Don't ever go, oh, let's, let's tell people what we're working on. Don't. Because this, this is never going to get finished now. Nope. And that's real sad. That is a bummer. I hope it does. It looks very cool. Please finish it and shut up about it. <laughs> I think that's it for news this week. What a tight little show. Tight little show. Yeah. Look at that. We, we, we done did it. Well, that leaves people plenty of time to check out uh, books and podcasts <gasps> and videos and whatnot. And Laura, I believe that you've got a, a quite a selection of such things. Oh, I do indeed. I do indeed. Uh, you can find me at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. I Twitch stream Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Every Friday I upload episodes of Accessibility, which is a series about accessibility and representation in the games industry. You should also check out this week, uh, I tried something a little different and I put together a 45 minute video essay about a single episode of, of Star Trek Voyager. Hey, fuck yeah. That'll probably be up by the time that this podcast goes up. Go watch me spend 45 minutes telling you why Tuvix is the greatest episode of Star Trek. Really? Tuvix? Like... I I have a real love for the Tuvix episode, and I go into some depth on okay, it. Okay, but this this is the episode where Catherine Janeway effectively commits a genocide. Yes, I think that she's a terrible person in this episode. I don't think that she has to be a good f person for me to not find this an interesting episode. No, interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll give you interesting. Look, it is an episode about the crew of this ship being really terrible people, but in ways that raise really interesting discussions about... 
I, I, I won't spoil the, where I go with the video. Captain Janeway invents what I what I have dubbed the ghost sacrifice trolley problem. The ghost sacrifice trolley problem. Yes. Is it morally ethical to kill one person to bring two people back from the dead? Is is sacrifice to bring ghosts back to life? Is that morally ethical on your pulling the lever trolley problem? Ethical ghost math. I'm here yeah. for it. It's, look, it is an episode of, like, people being terrible in ways that I find really fascinatingly written. And, like, it's it's heartbreaking, it's messy, and I love it. I, I know it's going to be a controversial one, but go listen to me waffle about this episode for 45 minutes, it's great. Also, I'm doing a protest outside Downing Street, August 6th, 1pm, go check mm-hmm. that out. Um... Comrade, you used to be on Dice Funk. That's the thing I'm on. You're, you were on it first. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Conrad Zimmerman. And I'm on Twitch four days a week at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. Uh, let's see what else. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com. And you can get audiobooks at conradreads.com. And I do some other podcasts as well, Boston's Favorite Son that we mentioned earlier, The Spinoff Doctors, which uh, gotta watch that Monster Hunter and get that episode done sometime pretty soon here. And um, let's talk about snacks, talking about snacks. And uh, in the most recent episode, I think, I, I, I can't, oh gosh, oh yeah, I was talking about Lay's chips before I found out about the strike. Did you know that, that, that Frito-Lay workers are striking in Topeka? Yeah, I've heard. I haven't heard this one. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Check that out. And then everything I do is supported online at Patreon, patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Why, it's James Stephanie Sterling. That's me. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Um, yeah, patreon.com slash Jimquisition. If you go there, then you could support the show. That would be wonderful. It supports Jimquisition, supports this, supports everything. There's that. Or if you don't want to do the Patreon thing, thegymporium.com. You know, you can get some stuff off that. You can get a shirt that says the gays can do whatever they want. You can get buttons. You can get a pin. You can get all of these things and a bit more. Yeah, there's a bit more. A bit more. Check that out. Um, and I stream. I've not done it this week. It's been a bit of a bit of a hectic week, um, to say the least. But I will be doing streaming at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. I, I would like to get around to streaming uh, Mundown. Mundown. Um, Christ, that'll do. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.